Welcome one, welcome all to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political pixel, Kobe Monaka. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and political panoramas, Diane and Tatton. How are you guys doing today? I'm in glorious Technicolor. <laughs> so I am. I like the pixel um, intro because I've just had an, it's quite personal, but I've had an upgrade to my broadband here in rural Devon. And apparently I'm a Woo-hoo! lot clearer than I used to be. So um, that'll, that'll be interesting today. The joy of seeing your unadulterated, unpixelated face is intense (laughs) and will see me with a lighter step through the rest of my day. Let's head to the first section, the top posts. Uh, Tatten, what was the third most popular post this week? Well, in the three was a uh, was a post with a cake, and (laughs) and it was about Rishi Sunak. I want to I want to give you a little bit of an insight into how SP works. I read somewhere that it was Rishi Sunak's three-month anniversary. He had been in power for three months. And I thought that was quite interesting because, like, in America, they talk a lot about the first 100 days in office, and obviously three months is approaching 100 days. And uh, there's the element of Liz Truss lasting 23 minutes as prime minister and how he's done much, much longer than that. And time kind of kind of goes quite quickly. And I thought it was an interesting point to make. How to tell that to the SP people. We could have done an update. That would be a bit dull. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go with congratulations, Rishi Sunak. Here's a cake. And the cake's quite funny because obviously he was fined over lockdown for a for cake stuff so there's a little bit of a joke with cake involved there and it was it's quite light-hearted but with an actual point behind it put it out and loads of people got really grumpy what why are you why are you celebrating this he's not done anything that i wanted him to do all this kind of nonsense so yeah the point is just to say it's done three months it made it to one of our top three posts in the end <laughs> People are people. They respond how they want to respond. And I just, it's interesting because we can't, I can never tell quite how they're going to respond. And sometimes loads of people are like, oh yeah, okay, I get that. And sometimes they they don't. And sometimes lots of people don't, don't, don't get it. And that's okay. We're all free to get or not get things on the internet as, as we go. But that, that was in at three, three months of Rishi Sunak's prime ministerial ship. That's not a word. And a nice blue cake for him did you draw the cake no the software the software you just put in cake and had there are lots of pictures uh, but i we we can always i always update it with the sp blue color to make it look um particularly unappetizing yeah yeah i think several of the complaints were that it wasn't a caterpillar cake (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a really really decent complaint and that's feedback i'll take on board for next time for sure yeah, I was quite surprised at the comments of this because for me it was seri- it was a clear like dry jab, not to be taken wholly seriously, but people were were quite up in arms about it. We have uh, by now we've accumulated a few followers, and not everyone sees everything. And people have been with us for months or years would have seen such a rich mix of humorous and serious and all kinds of other posts, and that's kind of something I'm really proud of. I'm proud that we can we can deliver really serious content. And we can also be quite tongue-in-cheek and quite light as well. And, you know, lots and lots of people will just see that and go, yeah, there we go. And lots of people haven't been with us for that long because that's the way Instagram works. There's plenty of churn. And they might have come for a very serious post and then see that next and go, oh, well, that's not right, is it? And that's that's kind of, that, that's okay. And the number two, Diane. 
Okay, in at number two. So um, this was a government responding to recommendations from a from a committee, a cross party committee, who gave a report last summer. It's a Women and Equalities Committee, and they recommended a few things. One of which was around it might be a good idea to trial menopause leave. Now, menopause as a thing that that women go through has been hitting headlines sort of more and more in the past kind of two years. There's been some really like high profile things that have happened. Davina McCall did a TV program about it. Lots more people talking about menopause and talking about flexibility and a bit more understanding that women might need as they're going through that from employers. So hence there was this report like I say, this isn't a conservative or a Labour thing or a Lib Dem thing. This was cross-party. And they made the recommendation that menopause leave might be something to look at as a trial, not to imp- implement fully, but as a trial might be good to have a look at that. And the other major thing, there was much, much more in the report, but the other major thing they were looking for was for menopause to be a protected characteristic within the Equalities Act. And that would mean that people wouldn't be able to discriminate against people on the basis an employer couldn't say, I'm not going to hire you because you're going to go you're around menopausal age, for example. That would be something that would be protected and wouldn't be allowed to happen. So the government looked at this and they looked at the Equalities Act and sort of looked between the two. And they've actually said that they're not going to pursue that protected characteristic thing because they believe it would inadvertently potentially affect other things that are in there. Now, that's an interesting one because on their response, the example they gave was that it could inadvertently affect men who might be on uh, long-term sickness. That was quite baffling that 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 was the the thing that they went with, really baffling, especially for a lot of people who read the post. And it's not specific and it doesn't quite explain how it does that or how it could potentially affect. So it's a bit of an open question. And they also said that actually trialling the menopause leave wasn't something they'd look into either because it would be counterproductive. Okay, and that's the word they used. So, like I say, it's a cross-party thing. And Caroline Noakes has been, who's conservative, has been one of the people really trying to push this through. She spoke a lot this week about, you know, her disappointment and, you know, really give some strong pushback, I guess, to this decision. But it seems quite a firm no at the minute from government to pursue this any further. But lots, lots of comments, huge amounts of comments on this from people just particularly the wording of the decision quite baffling i think i think i think that's exactly it if you're going to give menopause leave it has to become it has to become protected under the equalities act because if i'm an employer and i know i'm going to have to give someone leave or i've got someone else who i'm not going to have to give leave to it might be easier to get the job to the person i'm not going to have to give leave to which means they have to be protected against that. So you can't make it a statutory or mandatory thing to give menopause leave without it being in the Equalities Act. And the Equalities Act is a fine balance. We spoke about it a lot last week um, because of this uh, gender recognition and reform bill from Scotland. And not wanting to mess around with the Equalities Act might make sense. Struggling with the ability to balance different people's equalities might make sense. I'm sure there is a real case there for lawyers. It's a really hard bill for lawyers to keep to, to even up a bit. Who decided 
that the example they were going to go with was poorly men. I'm a man with chronic health conditions, right? I'm on board with not discriminating against me because I'm more important than most. But don't do that. Don't say no. No, no, you can't have that because what about the men? I mean, that's literally the worst thing you can say. Come on, governments, sort it out. It's, it's poor explaining. They're not evil people. They're not ignorant. It's just such a stupid thing to say. Comms 101, isn't it? Hopefully, at least private firms may take upon themselves to suggest that, uh, hey, you know what? Yeah, Kobe, I think that's absolutely right. It's about making it mandatory or not, right? Anyone can give leave to any employee for whatever reason they want. This is just about making people do it. Amazon staff were on strike yesterday and they were talking about having timed loo breaks. So we can see that while there are lots and lots and lots of good employers who don't time loo breaks and who might give menopausal leave or perimenopausal leave or whatever, legislation is needed to make sure that the basics are covered by people who are clearly not very good employers. Let's head on to the most popular post for this week. Tatten, this is yours to lead out on. I said earlier that I like the fact that we can do lighthearted things and serious things. And this week, well, our top three shows have quite a good mixture of those things because the most liked post, uh, the most engaged with post this week is on a truly, truly horrific story. It's about unaccompanied children going missing from home office hotels. The number is just ludicrous. One in four, one in four children in home office hotels, unaccompanied children, home office hotels in Hove went missing. Half of them are still missing. This system of keeping children in hotels doesn't work. They are being picked up, abducted, kidnapped outside these hotels and nobody kidnaps them because they want to take them home for a hot chocolate and to help them get an education and get started in life. They're being kidnapped for crime. They're being kidnapped for sex trafficking. They're being kidnapped for county lines gangs. And it is horrific. Now, the good news is this, they often went. So this was this was a, 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 a something called an urgent question, which is when any MP can say we need to talk about this now, and the Speaker of the goes, yeah, no, that's fine, we'll do that today. And often when they have an urgent question, the government just sends in some junior junior minister to kind of bat it away and say, yeah, jog on, whatever. Not this one. They send in Robert Jenrick, who's a senior minister, and he didn't remarkably. For, for, for what we watch in the House of Commons, he didn't try and defend it very much. He was like, this is, yeah, this is bad. We are, we are trying to move away from this. We are trying to change things. We're trying to do better. And obviously he, he went with a lot of um, standard home office stuff about stopping the boats coming in the first place and all of that, but also about putting safe, better safeguards, moving away from the hotel model, especially for unaccompanied children. And I mean, it was a heartbreaking debate to watch because people stood up and there was story after story after story. I mean, these are these are these are asylum seeking children. These are people who have fled from terrible places to come to our shores to throw themselves at the mercy of our government looking for help. 
and we are allowing them to be kidnapped and abducted into crime. It's awful. But the government are aware and they are looking to bring change on it. And Caroline Lucas, the former leader of the Green Party, now just a Green MP, by asking this, this urgent question, has, has done something to speed up this response. And I, I'm hoping that things will be happening while we speak. Okay, let's head over to section two, the mailbag. And it's over to you guys as the readers and listeners to ask the team here what our thoughts are. We have a couple of voice notes this week, I understand, Dan. Do we, uh, can you play them for us? We do. Always very exciting to have voice notes and actually hear people, which is lovely. So the first one is from Ian Mullen, and he's got a question about childcare. Hi, team. I was hoping you could discuss something that's been, I've, I've thought about for a while. So <laughs> there's lots of talk around childcare and education and people, parents going back to work. But there's a really simple maths problem that governments seem to have overlooked. Maybe they should have studied maths up to 18. Anyway, the problem is this, that children on average have 12.6 weeks of leave from school, summer holidays, Christmas, inset days, etc. Whereas annual leave minimums in this country, government mandated annual leave minimums is 5.6 weeks. So factoring bank holidays and things where people are usually off together, if two parents have all of their holiday time apart, so never get to go on holiday together. If they have all their time off apart, there's still a shortfall of like one or two weeks where children are left with no childcare, no cover, no parents look after them. So how are people, especially women, sadly, supposed to have a full-time job and look after their children with this simple maths problem? There was a dig there at the uh, at our Prime Minister's uh, insistence that everyone should do maths through to 18. Tat and Dan, what, what are your thoughts about this, managing this shortfall? You guys are parents and um, kids are older than mine, who, who, so you've probably negotiated and navigated these, uh, these kind of shortfalls. So what have you guys done? Yeah, so, oh my goodness, this is such a massive massive question and i think whoever whichever whichever party or or group of parties come up with a solution for childcare i i think they would possibly get my vote um because <laughs> it's something that people manage and life has changed society's changed you know and childcare hasn't caught up with that really you know it it couldn't but you know people don't necessarily live beside their grandparents anymore they haven't got the kind of you know, that the help to spread the childcare out as much as we used to, you know, that that's just a thing. And also the cost of childcare is an issue as well. And there are various things that get spoken about. So there was a proposal quite a while ago of would it make childcare cheaper if the ratios changed, for example, you know, if, if a childcare provider could look after more children, then it could be cheaper but there are pros and cons for every little tweak you make to that kind of system. And a lot of people aren't comfortable that their child gets a, you know, less of, of an adult's attention when you've paid to have them in childcare. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts, but most of my friends who are mums and whatever, I'm very lucky. Tatton, I work for him. It's all very flexible. It's great. But a lot of my friends, their whole system of how do you look after kids in the school holidays is held together with goodwill paper clips play dates swapped you know it's 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 just people manage week by week over the summer trying to spread all that out 
And I don't know what's the answer. I don't know how you make childcare cheaper in a model that doesn't make parents think they're getting less value and less care for their kids. But someone needs to take it on, definitely. I remember, like I said, my, my kid's only two years, two and a half years old, so I'm not going through this. But I remember as, as a kid in the 80s, when it came to some holidays, my parents were just like, okay, the house is yours now, guys. <laughs> yeah. We were like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't bet it down. Go, I, yeah. No, I'd, I'd often like, go out the door at 9am and my mum would be like, back at tea time? Cool. <laughs> but but that's that's kind of not the environment we're in anymore. <laughs> no, exactly. That's what, that, I guess that's the point of making. That's that's certainly not how we we do things now. And, and you know, rightly so for, for many reasons. So I guess that's that's how they used to sidestep that back in the olden days. But it's, it does sound like we need to have some kind of system in place. If we, if we just step back to to the original maths problem that Ian, Ian put forward, the problem is that children and young people have longer holidays than adults, right? As a teacher, when you get to the end of a seven-week term or even possibly eight weeks as uh, term six is sometimes, the kids are exhausted, right? School is tiring. You cannot extend the school year. You cannot extend the school term, especially the younger they are, the more tired they get. And let's not forget, it's the younger ones that need more childcare. By the time you're in, you know, college or whatever, when you're 16, 17, 18, your parents or guardians or whoever looks after you probably isn't worrying too much about your, your childcare, right? And then the other side of that is working. These are mandatory minimums. And it's really hard to increase mandatory minimum leave because people need to do their jobs and people need to be able to cover, like if a business or an organization wants something something done, then, then they need people there to do it. I mean, we at SP, we're all very relaxed and come and go as we need to, but at the, at the same points, SP needs to exist. So between the three of us, someone has to do something sometimes, right? I can't just go, well, let's just leave it all together. And, you know, SP is a bad example because if SP stopped doing things, you probably, your life might start getting a little bit better, if anything. But if other, if other industries stop, just didn't have enough staff and it comes down to money again, because sure, like let's talk about the NHS. If everyone in the NHS had more leave, you would need more nurses to cover the leaving nurses, the nurses who are on leave. That's going to be a lot more expensive. Also, a lot of, I mean, I'm talking about nurses. Um, a lot of nurses are of an age where they have younger, young children or so. So they can't all take leave at the same time, right? You might all want to take leave in the summer holidays because that's when your children are home for longest. This maths problem is somewhat inevitable. It's almost impossible to give young people more school time and it's almost impossible to give old people, as in working people, more leave time as a mandatory minimum. So what we do with that shortfall is the question. And we were talking about making childcare more affordable a moment ago. What, what should childcare look like? How should we expect it to work? We don't, we don't have grandparents around in the same way as we used to, as Diane said. A fresh, maybe radical look at childcare is needed something something's got to give ian's exactly right something's got to give i've got no answers but maybe other people do there are clever people out there right they can sort this let's, let's leave this to the clever people 
We have another voice memo. Uh, Diane, can you play that one? Yeah, this one is from Rebecca Dunn. My question is about political parties today and how well they represent the issues and debates that are relevant in modern society. Um, and I think my starting point for this was thinking about kind of the history of political parties and how they come to be. More often than not, they're kind of born out of an older tradition uh, or movement like Labour and the trades union movement, for example. So my question is if we could somehow erase all of that history and start afresh, would our political parties and the things they stand for look and feel very different? What an interesting question. I guess one of the first things they might change is the names, to be honest. <laughs> if I had a blank sheet of paper setting up a political party tomorrow, I wouldn't go for Liberal Democrat. What would you go with? Oh, I knew I set myself up for that question. Go on. Go on, Diane. No, I haven't got it. I haven't got it. It needs to go to like a oh. some sort of drink drinking session <laughs> you could probably go to a brand consultant and they'd come up with stupid names like champion <laughs> oh they like the team names know. on apprentice isn't it it's gonna be like one of those yeah exactly oh yeah have you got a good name tatten yes uh um the the podcast party because we're doing a <laughs> podcast and that's all i've got so you're welcome um uh it's not good is it do you think you'd have more that wore the hearts on the sleeves like like the Green Party, which was just like, this is why we exist? Been off all the rest for now. Just talk about the Conservative Party and the Labour Party, right? Their names are quite descriptive. We've got the Conservatives. They believe in conservatism. They believe in generally keeping things in a similar way. We've got the Labour Party who believe in who are the party of the workers. We've got, so we've got a radical versus moderate We've got red versus blue, red versus blue, always those two things. Look at the, I mean, look at football colours. Look at the Manchester teams and the London teams and the Liverpool teams. Red versus blue, radical versus moderate all the time. And this is a, this is a dynamic we're quite used to seeing. So when things start up, I think if they started from scratch, things would quickly fall into that red versus blue system. I mean, America has the same red versus blue. Would they stand for different things i don't know i think i think that they're quite fluid the parties and we can see by the by by the changes the parties have made when they've had new leaders both main parties when they've had new leaders has demonstrated that they will move depending on the democracy within the party is the the leader of the party. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour stood for very different things to Keir Starmer's Labour. It's not always quite clear what Keir Starmer's Labour does stand for, but what we but we do know that there's a there's a shift there. We know that Rishi Sunak stands for different things to what Liz Truss stood for. And Liz Truss stands for different things to what Boris Johnson stood for, partly because no one really knows what Boris Johnson stood for. Theresa May was very clear. Uh, she wore a heart on her sleeve. And so when you get a leader, they do change the way the party stands. The way parties work does change slightly. That takes a longer time. But I don't think that parties feel the breath of history on their necks to an extent where they don't say what they want to say. Tony Blair booted out years and years and years of Labour history to create Blairite Labour. And it did really, like, electorally, they did really, really, really well. I know that there's a few people who question his foreign policy at times, 
but electorally he won and he won and he won and he won. That was because he just started from scratch. So what do I want this party to be? And he was that. So we may not have exactly the same names. We may not have exactly the same party structures, but I think we would find ourselves with quite similar policies and ideologies from certainly from the main parties and also, I mean, the Green Party, if they started from scratch and built everything today, it would look exactly like the Green Party currently does. They're a radical party. They change things a lot. The Liberal Democrats, they would probably just be quite Liberal Democrats. <laughs> Do you think that the biggest difference would be how the voters were to perceive the, the parties that may be less kind of inbuilt loyalty that they've had for, for generations and be more willing potentially? I mean, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Yeah. I mean, if it's if, if you look at the... Sorry, I, I'm doing, I'm ranting a lot here because this is exactly what I lie awake thinking about at night. I love this stuff. Rebecca, you're my fave. <laughs> yes, people will... A lot of people will only ever vote for one party all their lives, possibly because that's what their parents voted for and their friends vote for. Maybe that would be... that. You know, there's obviously... There's a cycle vote for policies, which uh, is a wonderful, wonderful page uh, run by my friend Matt. And it takes away all the party names and you just click on the policies you like in each area and then it tells you which party... For which party's policies you like the most. So, yes, maybe you're right. Maybe the menu wouldn't change that much, but the way we view the menu would change and we wouldn't feel quite so tied towards a particular colour. I think that would be really beneficial because in our current system, with the history, with the loyalty, with the all that comes with it, it's now impossible for new parties to really break through and get traction. It feels, the perception is, you know, that it's a two-horse race every general election, right? And for a new party to come through and kind of be something completely different and structured completely different, it's really, really difficult because of all the history that is there with the main two. But isn't isn't the point of the main two that you don't need a new party, you can rise up within the original party, right? Like the, the parties are broad churches. So if there's, a, if, there's a, if there's something you really believe, you can join the Conservative Party and try and campaign for more. I mean, you know, join Caroline Noakes and her pro-menopausal leave campaign. I mean, we saw the Women's Equality Party struggling to make impacts over the last 10 years, having had some early wins, but maybe joining Caroline Noakes in the Conservative Party and trying to put pressure in the Conservative Party to, to further those aims is a more effective thing than having a new party. The broad church welcomes debate within those within those party structures, and it's and it's not the parties that stop new new that stop new parties. It's the electoral system. If we had proportional representation, then then new parties would have much much more opportunity. First past the post favors a two party system, three party in Scotland, four party, five party, whatever you're going to call it, but favors a two party system, and that creates these broad church parties that have a wide range of people within them and a wide range of policies and ideas. I mean, look at the Labour Party. Look at look at look at look at the breadth of people. Look at the Conservative Party. The breadth of people. The breadth of opinions within that. Mm, but it would be nice. I would be in favour of the fact that you've got these broad church parties who have been around for a very very long time. You sort of 
people don't forget things that have happened and often go back to them. So you can talk to, you know, someone about, you know, the Labour Party and they'll say, oh, but Jeremy Corbyn. You can talk to someone about the Conservative Party and, you know, they might still say, oh, but Thatcher, you know, and and you've got this kind of weight of history and stuff that's happened that's impossible to shake off. And that's what I wish for, like a start afresh. Clean slate. Anyway, it's very idealistic. <laughs> but if we start, if we did that, would we not end up with like an Aldi pretend Labour? <laughs> like a party that looks really similar, but is just different enough to avoid legislation? I think we're back to caterpillar cakes again, aren't we? <laughs> Dave, Dave the caterpillar, yeah. Yeah. Part three of the podcast is the PM Watch. This is where Diane Tatton have their spies out looking at what Rishi Sunak is up to. What has he been up to, Tatton? Well, there's been a lot of chat about a fella called Nadim Zahawi. Uh, now, Nadim <laughs> Zahawi accidentally forgot to declare £27 million <laughs> of, uh, of cash money. Just, I think it's just, it's just like we all, we all drop that kind of thing behind the sofa, don't we? £27 million. And he got fined by HMRC. And it turns out he got fined by HMRC for not, declaring it's 27 million pounds while he was Chancellor of the Exchequer. <laughs> Just brilliant. Well done him. Anyway, he's no longer, he's no longer Chancellor of the Exchequer. He was Chancellor of the Exchequer. He described it as the ultimate summer job because he was Chancellor of the Exchequer kind of while Boris Johnson was handing over to Liz Truss. He did it for like two months. He, he's, he's not there anymore. He's now the, the Minister Without Portfolio. He's a con- chair of the Conservative Party. So it's He's not really in charge of much in the country. It's it's a it's a party political role rather than a ministerial running. He's he's got nothing to do with like the serious issues of children going missing from home office uh, hotels or whatever. But he has done stuff that he's been fined for for being careless. He's been fined for being careless. He's got to go. He's going to go. Like, there's no way he stays through this. But Rishi Sunak has set up an inquiry for about 10 days, which pushes the whole thing down the line a bit. And also, it takes all the weight off Rishi Sunak. He doesn't have to do anything. He just has to do what the inquiry tells him to do, right? So there's no pressure on him. It's quite a slick, he's quite a slick manoeuvrer, except for when he's not wearing a seatbelt. Goodness me. (laughs) What an idiot. So he's done that. And then we have PMQs this week, and Diane and I were chatting before PMQs, and we're saying to Zahawi, and I said, I said, Starmer shouldn't go on Zahawi because Sunak will have written, Sunak's team will have written him a million answers on Zahawi. Go with something else. And Starmer started off by talking about, uh, Diane, what did you start off by talking about? He talked about safer streets. Oh, safer streets, yeah, for the the the, the probation services, and it was re- and it was he did he was he he made such compelling, interesting argument, and I thought, well done, well done, Kia, you've really smashed this. It's a serious thing to talk about. And then he switched to the team to Harvey's tax affairs, and uh, Rishi Sunak saw it coming and knocked him knocked him out of the park. Like, we got a crystal ball next, and I'll probably say the team to Harvey by then, unless I think about something more intelligent to say in the next couple of minutes. In terms of Rishi's involvement in this, he's in quite, my perception, he's in quite a clean position because he, he he had nothing to do with Zahawi at the time. So he can somehow wash his hands clean a bit. And also because he's dealing with it in a manner that seems 
sensible. Also, he's been proven to be like a, a you know a considerate, cautious leader and going through a process that makes sense to people from an outside perspective. In so obviously, the Deems of Harwi, what are you doing? I'm sure Rishi Sunak, when he heard it, is probably like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Yeah. I seem like it's quite clean of this, but the words, the two words that will keep coming back are Tory sleaze. And that's been the issue for this government for so long. Fixed penalty notices, fines from HMRC, not wearing a seatbelt, partying, like all of this stuff, it doesn't go away. So, yes, Sunak has nothing to do with this story specifically, but there's this narrative, isn't there? Would we be surprised if the next two weeks there'll be another layer of sleaze that comes out? Probably not. That's, that's the problem. That's the, that's the branding that they have at the moment, isn't it? It's not just them. All the parties have their issues and have, 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 because, you know, any group of that size, you're going to have some wrongs involved, especially when you throw in the power that people have and maybe the kind of people that seek that kind of power and, you know, all kinds of other factors. It's not just conservatives, but there are a lot of conservatives. And let's head over to the crystal ball. What will be the big stories? Coming up in the next week, Diane. Okay, we we I mean we've been saying strikes for weeks, but this next week is actually going to be massive because on the first of February we have the first teachers and Welsh teaching assistants. So teachers in England, Wales, teaching assistants in Wales. That's a nationwide thing on the first of Feb, but lots of other sectors of the workforce, different unions are also trying to coordinate. So it's more of a mass day of action on the 1st of Feb. Because I don't know if it's just me, but for example, you know, there's been strikes this week. Yes, we we did a, a piece on the Amazon workers. But other than that, they've become almost, you know, you can see less headlines, less column inches on physiotherapists throughout today. Um, you know, there's different people out every day, but it, it feels like slightly, slightly less every day in the news about the strikes. So next week is going to be a massive attempt by the unions to put it right back on the front pages again. So that is going to be a really interesting watch from on Wednesday. I think, yeah, we know why they're late getting less attention. There's just strike fatigue. I mean, we we post every Monday pretty much uh, an updated strike calendar and they used to get 20,000 likes. And now they're getting 2,000 likes because people are, oh, goodness me. We're going to hear much more about it next week. Your crystal ball is spot on. It's going to be really, really impactful. And then, and then at some point we're expecting firefighters announcement that they will strike the fbu are are balloting and they will announce i think in the next week or two and that's going to get people talking again but even if it's a really interesting story people respond less and less to it and so the papers will print fewer inches about it i mean look at ukraine the day we went the day the day russia invaded ukraine everyone like it was everywhere. And it was the big thing. And now huge diminishing returns. I mean, we hardly post about Ukraine at all on SP because people, it just doesn't reach anyone because people aren't engaging with it. So even war in Europe has fatigue. Strikes have fatigue. We move on. So just to touch on that point with the strike calendar, 
on that 1st of February, we have rail staff, civil servants, university staff, teachers in England and Wales, teachers in Scotland, uh, on all in that one day. Uh, I'm getting this, of course, from the Simple Politics uh, newsfeed. Um, every Monday, you guys update this, as, as Tatton said, so do keep on looking at this as your main source of information for the strike action. So we'll maybe be able to comment on it this time next week and see how much of an impact that one day of action had. Uh, Tatton, what have you got for the crystal ball? I'd like to, well, for next week, I would like to say... Um... SP won't be on strike, but it is the 1st of February, so I might just be drunk all day. Oh, you've done dry January. (laughs) So it might feel like we're on strike, but we won't. We'll just be singing football songs. Now, my crystal ball, I said a moment ago that uh, I would try and think of something more interesting than Nadeem Zahawi. So I'm not going to say Nadeem Zahawi. I'm going to say it's the end of January, and the end of January 2025 is the last possible day for a general election. So we are within two years of a general election without any shadow of doubt. It's happening. It's on. Sunak, Starmer, almost certainly now. There's still talk about Boris Johnson come back in the summer if Starmer can't spark some life, but we're getting really tight to the elections to change leadership. So we're really, things are in place now building over the next two years for the general election i mean so when i say crystal ball that's kind of a quite a long-term one <laughs> that's like a, a like a 700 day crystal ball so it's not i mean it's not brilliant but i didn't say zahawi so i went <laughs> thank you very much for this week it's been a pleasure talking to you both as always thanks to everyone who's listening and we'll see you next week and we'll determine how good diane and tatton's crystal balls are although Tatton has declared his has got his is a long game of 700 days yeah. at least. So yeah. it might take a while for that to come I to win. Fruition. I win. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you all next week. Thank you very much, guys. Bye.